You're about to hear my conversation with John Cook. We talk all about batteries, the most recent subsidies that have been put forward by governments, why governments are supporting the battery transition. We also get into discussion about what may come next for batteries and what it means for the region portfolios. I hope you enjoy it. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKinsey Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Shearer. I'm delighted to have John Cook back to discuss about all things environmental and batteries specifically for this episode. As most of uh, the listeners will know, John is the co-lead of the Green Chip uh, Boutique uh, that take a uh, view on fundamental uh, equity investing in the renewable economy and all things environmental. John, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Matt. Uh, as I as I alluded to at the top, uh, we're here to talk all about batteries. It seems like every single day you're hearing another government, uh, usually multi billion dollar commitment uh, to uh, to reshoring or onshoring uh, battery production or somehow supporting battery production. Maybe I'll start. I'd love to dive into the topic in a lot of detail, but maybe I'd start with just the highest level uh, question, which is why do batteries matter? I think there's a, there's a couple of reasons. One, obviously, um, we're trying to uh, decarbonize our economy, and um, about thirty percent of oil goes to um, you know powering transportation, and uh, so electrifying transportation is a way to reduce our uh, burning of fossil fuels. And the second one, um, I sometimes think it actually might be more powerful, is sort of industrial policy. Um, you know, yeah. everywhere around the world, governments looking for new ways to get people to work and, um, you know, transitioning to electric vehicles is one of those races that no region wants to miss out on. Right. And I suppose it has to do with the uh, large percentage of uh, the workforce that's involved in car manufacturing in much of the, the Western world. Correct. Um, and then and then on the transportation side, so the, the battery investments that they're making all the, the headlines, this is all mostly focused on the manufacturing of uh, batteries for cars. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So, and it's significant. Um, you know, the, the latest one in Ontario was $16 billion. Uh, now, that wasn't just writing a check. Some of that would be tax uh, incentives and so on. But um, in the past year, we've had uh, almost 640 gigawatt hours of, of agreements between governments, battery companies, and auto manufacturers which would be enough. Those are not all built yet, but those are deals that have been announced. That would be enough to build about six to eight million cars, which is about half of all cars that would be sold last year. So it's really significant how much support this industry is getting in the Western world. And the amazing thing is we're building a very small fraction of what China is building. Like hmm. for every every four months, let's say, we build a new um, battery manufacturing plant. China's building one each week. Wow. Well, uh, I'd love to We'll dive more into, I think, implications on supply chains in China in just a second. But before we get into the details, let's level set and just discuss sort of the fundamentals of what is a battery and how does how do batteries work and why is this government support sort of needed? 
Yeah, there, uh, well, there's lots of reasons governments support Israel, but let's start with the fundamentals of what a battery is. So, you know, they were invented a couple hundred years ago. Alexander Volta invented the first battery and basically two electrodes, a positive electrode, a negative electrode, usually sandwiched on either side of some sort of electrolyte. In, in his original battery, it was just a, a cloth soaked in salty water. But hmm. the idea is there's a, an electrical chemical uh, process where you can have charged ions move from one electrode to the other. And if you complete that circuit outside of, of those two electrodes, you can actually create a current to drive an electric motor, an electric light, and so on. And so it, it doesn't actually uh, produce electricity, it stores it so that it can be used in the future. And, and this is why electric batteries or electrifying the automobile sort of replaces the stored energy that would exist in, um, you know, fossil fuels. Great. Um, and, and the uh, components of that battery manufacturing, perhaps as it is today, or what the dominant batteries are, maybe get into a little bit more details on that and, and what uh, challenges that has for supply chains. Sure. I mean, there's a, there's sort of a, a real rabbit hole we can go down here, so I'll try and keep it as simple as possible. Sure. But basically, the uh, the positive uh, electrode is called the, uh, the cathode. It's where most of the research has been, and that's when you hear about um, metal oxides like nickel, manganese, cobalt. Um, think of think of uh, sprayed compound of those metals onto a current collector that's usually made of aluminum foil. That's one side of the battery. The other side of the battery is usually a current collector made of copper foil, which is sprayed with graphite. And so there's this dance of uh, charged ions that go back and forth. And the ions are usually uh, ions that come off of lithium uh, atoms. Lithium is the lightest metal. So in the middle, you have an electrolyte of or solution of lithium and some sort of liquid or gel. And, um, and so we put a charge in and the ions move from, to one side. And then when we take it out, they move to the other side. That's, that basically is uh, the chemistry and what most batteries look like. Now, the reason that we need lots of government funding is because batteries still aren't economically competitive with uh, you know, internal combustion engines. So the, the cost point for batteries right now to build the cells, the battery cells, and build them into a battery pack, which goes into a car, they're currently uh, on average about $151 a kilowatt hour. And I'll define that in one second. But we know we need to be at about $100 a kilowatt hour for uh, the electric car to be competitive with an internal combustion engine. So governments are supporting really on two sides of the equation. They're supporting in the research and the, the battery manufacturers to build these plants so that they can do that economically. But then they're also supporting through lots of different policies, like in the States, a $7,500 um, incentive for consumers to buy electric vehicles because they cost more. And um, so without going too far down the rabbit hole, unless you want me to, on terms of how we actually get to $100, there are lots of bits in this continuum that are still uncertain. That's the most important part. Cost is one of those, and we need to find another $50 or about a third uh, reduction in the price of the batteries. Well, I, uh, I think we probably should at least enter the rabbit hole a little bit, uh, John, uh, on some of these topics. Um, so it, it seems like 
in order for it to be competitive with internal combustion, I think that uh, many people would argue that that's going to be the catalyst that you need at least fairly competitive pricing uh, for the majority of people to make that transition from internal combustion to uh, electrified vehicles. A lot of the subsidies that we're seeing from government is, is coming on manufacturing specifically. Uh, you mentioned research as well. Why don't we stick with manufacturing? Are there efficiencies in manufacturing that, that will be able to uh, reduce those costs as the technology is now? Or are we really dependent on some sort of technological breakthrough? I think it's more of the latter. You know, the thing that we often think that we can manufacture our way out of, out of economic challenges, the, the reality is that the high energy density lithium ion batteries that we mostly use in electric cars were developed in the 1990s by Sony. They're the same batteries that are in our cell phones and, and in our laptops. And hmm. we've been developing them around the world at scale for many, many decades. And so I think it's unlikely that there's going to be some big manufacturing breakthrough. In fact, there's more probably manufacturing risk right now because right. the various types of battery chemistries the chemistries that would go on that cathode or anode that I talked about earlier, they're shifting all the time. And the form factor, the shape of these batteries is shifting. So it, it's actually, there's risk in the manufacturing that it could actually cost more. And something, you know, bringing battery manufacturing to North America is really important uh, for energy security reasons and so that we have our own place in this. I don't see how bringing manufacturing to the Western world actually decreases the cost. Most of the manufacturing we sent to Asia, we did because it reduced costs. So right. I think the real breakthroughs have to come in research and chemistry, and maybe a little bit in design. And if you want, we can discuss some of those. Maybe before shifting to sort of the, the technology side and, and, um, and putting too many hopes in technology to save us, um, talk a little bit about uh, the manufacturing. You referenced earlier in the podcast that there's four battery plants in China to every one in the West. China seems like they've certainly had a, a pretty good lead on battery manufacturing. Do you see that the West, uh, through government action subsidies, corporate desire to open up these these plants, uh, do you think that gap is going to close, or is it is it just everybody's going to be producing more of everything? I'm not sure whether the gap's going to close. Actually, uh, I think we're going to be increasing just a lot more batteries generally around the world, and probably. China is going to keep its lead for a while anyways. Mm. A, lot of the, a lot of the deals that we've seen in the States, and I can just name some like LG Energy Solutions, you know, that's Korea with GM, Stellantis, Honda, Hyundai, Panasonic with Tesla, SK with Ford, Hyundai, Samsung with Stellantis. Cattle is the one that's a big, the biggest Chinese company uh, partnering with Ford. And there's been some political pushback in the United States on that. Sure. The same with the Canadian deals. It's mostly Asian companies, non-Chinese Asian companies partnering with uh, you know, North American and Japanese car builders right now. China actually is producing you know, tremendous volume of electric cars themselves. So they have their own battery deals. But outside of Tesla, I really see these as partnerships rather than the traditional North American OEMs developing their own batteries. They are doing battery research but a lot of it is through partnership. Now, it's not all just these large, you know, Korean or Japanese uh, manufacturers of batteries. There's some very interesting emerging companies in the United States too, like QuantumScape, um, which is uh, uh, a leader in solid state batteries. 
So, um, you know, these, some of them come with tremendous valuations. They're difficult to invest in. But the biggies right now are the ones that I just talked about. Great. Um, and uh, one of the uh, things that was also made for us recently has been um, some tariffs on some of the rare earths and some of the uh, ingredients that find their way into batteries. And this sort of highlights the geopolitical risk. I'm wondering those resource constraints, how constraining are they? Uh, and uh, are the uh, subsidized manufacturers going to be facing the uh, requirement or prospect that they're going to have to get those raw resources through China anyway? Uh, it's an excellent question. The reality is we're probably going to have to get resources from China because they control so much in the near term. In the long term, the hope is that, you know, particularly for a country like Canada, but also for Australia and some South American countries that, that um, you know, we collectively will be able to build new supply chains. But let me just throw some numbers that give you an idea of how of the critical materials, how dominant China is. So right now, they, they produce 77% of the cathodes, 74% of the separators, 82% of the electrolytes, 92% of the anodes. And when we're talking about the materials, it's 60 to 95% of the market for manganese, cobalt, graphite, lithium, nickel, which are wow. the key materials. So the gap is, you know, it should not be underestimated. And, and investors like the world that we live in, talk to Benoit Gervais about the lack of interest in funding new mines from institutional investors. It's significant. And so we talk about building new capacity but it is going to be very difficult for us to catch up. Uh, maybe we'll turn now to uh, the technology yeah, that we've sort of talked about or danced around a, li a little bit about. In my uh, sort of general view on things, I don't follow this nearly as closely as you, of course, John, uh, but I've really seen two technologies that seem somewhat promising or have hit the news. Uh, one you've mentioned already, which is the solid state uh, battery. The other is uh, using something other than lithium, sodium, uh, some other sort of ion uh, for that battery component. Maybe you can touch on both of them. Are these imminent technologies that you think will be scalable soon, or is there a fair amount of uh, distance to go? Let me start with this. All technology, technological developments related to batteries in the last 30 years, um, it, it's sort of like a game of whack-a-mole. We, we move forward on one performance aspect and we move back on another. Okay. Um, solid state that you mentioned is some ways out. I'm not saying like there's actually a company in China that's already put 50 solid state cars on the road, but we hmm. put space shuttles into space. It doesn't mean that the average person can afford them, right? Sure. There's still a massive economic gap. And there are technological problems with solid state that haven't been overcome. Difficulties, you know, having the electrodes stay attached to the solid state electrolyte in the, mid in the middle dentrite buildup build up and um, some cracking and so on. So there are difficulties, but that I would say is the 10 years out kind of game changer that we're all hoping for. Uh, the other one that you mentioned, sodium, I would, I would put that alongside lithium iron phosphate as two uh, lower um, energy density batteries that cost less. So in terms of that whack-a-mole issue, we are able to produce batteries now at a lower price point, but they come with a higher energy density. And um, we're already seeing like tech, Tesla has put uh, the lithium iron phosphate, they call it LFP batteries, into their cheapest Model 3s. And we're seeing lots of Chinese cars using LFP because they cost less. They make 
for those that don't need as much range, they make it more accessible. I think with sodium, you know, we're probably in some ways closer on sodium as a replacement for lithium in the electrolyte. But the I don't think we're ever going to get to a point where the energy density is attractive enough to replace uh, uh, the current type of EV batteries. And I think it's more likely, like Bloomberg New Energy Finance estimate by 2030, that it may be 3% of the auto market. And I, that'll be a very small piece of it. So it's more, uh, I think, chemistry developments in the cathode are still possible, but less likely. In the anode, uh, adding silicon is looking like it might work to the graphite that I talked about earlier. Okay. There are little tweaks along the way, um, but solid state is the big game changer. And so at this point, it's hard to identify exactly what is going to get us to that tipping point. And I think the, the sales will continue for electric cars, but they're going to continue uh, requirement for gov government subsidy at the retail level. The manufacturing is going to require some subsidy and some consumers are just going to have to make the choice. I'm going to pay a bit more because it's good for the planet. Maybe before we leave this, I just want to get some better understanding of what the different technologies mean kind of in reality. So the uh, the cheaper batteries that you refer to, the LFP, the sodium, what does that mean as far as cost per kilowatt hour? We had to make it a third cheaper. How much cheaper? And then what is the sacrifice in sort of range of car on average? Right. So um, you're looking at about uh, up to 20% reduction in price. Okay. And about the same reduction in the distance that you can travel for the same size battery. Okay. Okay. And there's some interesting companies doing things with LFP that actually I could see it stealing more share from these high nickel type batteries. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, what I gave you is just general. And back to where I started that $152 a kilowatt hour, that's for all batteries. That's the average cost of a battery pack. Got so it. that includes lithium iron phosphate already. So the nickel, manganese, cobalt with the high, the ones that you get in the high-end Porsche, BMW, Teslas, and so on, they're even more expensive and further away from that $100 tipping point. I see. So that reduction of 20% isn't from the 150, it's from something greater. So we're, we're still quite a ways away from that $100 uh, mark, even with the cheaper batteries. Sadly, that's right. And then what's the promise of solid state? What does the future look like if I wake up in 10 years and this is a technology that's actually in cars? What, what does that look like? So the really exciting things, and, and you know, Toyota announced just a week or two ago that they will have solid state batteries in their car by 2027. And we should be maybe a little bit skeptical because they announced a similar type thing, you know, a few years before. But right. here's the promise is instead of, you know, 400 miles for the highest end Tesla, you may be able to get seven, 800 miles, oh, like wow. very similar to a guessing. And as long as you can find, you know, high, high voltage charging, you potentially could charge your car in five to 10 minutes. Oh, wow. Because the interesting thing about solid state is actually safer. You don't have to worry about that liquid electrolyte somehow failing and the, and the two electrodes touching each other. You have a solid piece of ceramic between the two pieces that can never touch without creating a fire. And so... Uh, they're safer, they charge faster, they have far better energy density. Um, they just right now don't look like they can be economically produced. That's great. Uh, good context 
Um, so, uh, of course, uh, you run a portfolio uh, with your colleague, Greg Payne. Um, we've talked a lot about batteries. There's a, a fair amount of skepticism, it seems like you have, on some of the subsidies and the ability to uh, progress. What does it mean for your portfolio? How are you incorporating these views in your portfolio? Well, the first, first thing is, I don't want to sound like I'm skeptical. I think we're being realistic about where we're at. Okay, And Green Chip has always tried to do that. The other thing that we've always tried to do is find derivative plays on these large sort of sometimes overly hyped, you know, sectors like where I would say EVs, EV manufacturing and battery manufacturing is a little bit in the hype stage right now. They're very expensive, but there are a couple of ways we've been able to play. Greg was in Japan three quarters of a year ago, came back and one of the companies that he's, he visited was called TDK. Some will remember that as the, the cassette tapes that we used to get oh, sure. in the 80s and 90s, right? Yeah. Well, uh, they actually have uh, actually cattle. Uh, Contemporary Amperex Technology Inc. was founded out of, limited, sorry, was founded out of TDK. It's now the largest Chinese battery manufacturer in the world. But um, they have an agreement, uh, TDK, with cattle to produce uh, separators and battery, plastic battery coatings that would go around the whole battery cell. So um, it was a really interesting company, derivative play, and uh, it's not the only thing TDK do, but that would be an example. Another area would be the metals or the materials okay. that go in outside of just the polymers and the separators. And, and I would say the area that we've most invested in, which is more related to the electric car generally, is power management, semiconductors, and passive electronics. You I can't have, like an electric car is going to have three times as many high voltage chips than an internal combustion engine car would, and probably two and a half times the number of capacitors as one example of passive uh, electronics. So, and it's everywhere. It's in the charging stations, it's in the battery management, in the thermal management, the increasing uh, electronic componentry in the cars. It's just demand for these chips is, is growing. It's the reason that it's really tough to just go to Toyota and get a Camry these days. They're just not producing enough of them. So right. it's these derivative plays that have worked really well for us. We did own Panasonic which is the main battery supplier to test so that it reached our price point. So, um, you know, we follow them all and uh, I wouldn't be surprised coming back to, I do think the future is electric. We are going to get there and there are going to be great investment opportunities, but we gotta be pragmatic and careful and not pay too much. Well, John, let's call it there. Very insightful deep dive on batteries as well as uh, at the end, just the commitment to value, the commitment to uh, doing right by your shareholders. So I really appreciate you spending the time with me and I, I certainly want to go up. Terrific. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fun facts and prospectus before investing.
the indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns.